listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. For Alan Carter, I'm Arlene Bynum on this hot August day. And boy, there is a lot going on. SNC-Lavalin, we discussed it yesterday as it broke. It is gaining momentum. We're going to take your thoughts and examine all the latest reaction in the news on that later on this hour. And we're going to begin with an incredible story that happened in London. Seven homes destroyed in an explosion and somebody has been charged with impaired driving. Joining me is Craig Needles, Global News Radio London AM 980. Craig, welcome. Thanks very much, Arlene. Appreciate it. All right. You know, this story was had a lot of questions when it first broke. Here you have this massive explosion, and now we have somebody charged with impaired driving. What do we know today? Well, I was uh, at the uh, at the scene last mm. night, and there was a lot of uh, people who uh, were nearby that uh, essentially said what the police wound up confirming this morning, which was someone drove a vehicle into this home. Uh, it, uh, it damaged the gas line and eventually caused an explosion. Police have now laid um, impaired driving charges against the woman who's a 23-year-old from Kitchener who is driving this vehicle. And how did it happen? You know, how does somebody who hits a house cause seven houses to be destroyed? There was a, there, it was this gas line, and we've had representatives from Union Gas on mm-hmm. here that have told us sort of what the situation was. The gas was shut down shortly afterwards, but uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to see the pictures, Arlene. Mm-hmm. Your audience has had, had a chance to see the pictures, but the damage is incredible. It just looks like a, a, a house was just plucked out of this neighborhood. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's amazing to me that uh, uh, there's only one person who was seriously hurt, who's a firefighter, who's in a serious but stable condition. Uh, as per the latest update, we've been trying to get uh, further information. That's all we've been able to to uh, uh, get so far. Uh, But if you look at the picture, it's amazing that uh, no civilians were hurt during this incident. You're not kidding, but you've got we've got people injured, including firefighters as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's uh, uh, four firefighters uh, were taken to hospital. Three of them have been released. But yeah, there's that one who's in serious but stable condition. So uh, very much hopeful that firefighter is uh, able to make a a very, uh, very speedy and obviously a full recovery. All right, Craig, let me ask you, you know, you were on the scene. What are neighbors thinking? I mean, here you're living your life in this residential neighborhood and the next thing you're involved in something that looks like a bomb went off. Yeah, uh, incredible. A lot of folks were just uh, uh, just getting ready for bed, uh, sitting on the couch watching television. You know, just winding down your evening. It was, after, it was about 11-ish when the explosion occurred. And then it just uh, the people that live blocks away told me, I felt that a car hit my house. That's how much my house vibrated. Wow. I live in downtown London, which mm-hmm. is a good, let's say, a, a 10-minute drive mm-hmm. where this explosion happened. I felt it at my place. So it was... Uh, just the the force of it was really significant. It uh, shattered windows of, of businesses uh, uh, nearly a full block away from where the uh, explosion occurred. Uh, it was uh, it was really uh, really intense. And again, uh, very fortunate that uh, uh, everyone survived. All right, final. What are they doing for the people? They're displaced. They're going to need help. Yeah, certainly. So there was a, a relief center set up by the city at a, at a community center last night. Now most of those people have been able to move, uh, be moved to hotels and, and, and things along those lines, which is good news. There's been a, uh, a community fund set up for them that uh, is going to help people deal with things like, you know, paying for hotel rooms, clothing, and things like that while they're figuring things out. Because a lot of these folks are going to be away from their homes for uh, uh, days or perhaps even weeks in some cases, in the uh, case of the folks who had uh, serious damage to their homes. Uh, so it's going to be uh, a little while 
while an incredible hardship for people who, uh, as of about 10 p.m. last night, uh, everything was fine in their homes. They have no reason to expect that they weren't going to be able to return for uh, uh, days or weeks at a time. But uh, things changed very, very quickly when that car collided with the house on Woodman Avenue. You're not kidding. Thank you, Craig Needles, Global News Radio, London, AM 980. Thank you, Craig. We appreciate it. Always appreciate it, Irene. Uh, Eileen, thank you very much. Arlene. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 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 okay. that's okay that's okay there's a lot of leans in there there are le- leans in there okay thanks joe thanks bye <laughs> <laughs> joe needles joining us thank you thank you all right you have, a great, you have a great day there's so much to talk about today and again this is arlene bonnen in for alan carter um there's so much to talk about today and we're going to get to the snc lavalin because we've got lots of reaction really really important political story here and as we we just heard that those homes destroyed in that explosion really tragic unbelievable the power of one car also there is a lot of talk about what is happening to the economy there are a lot of may we say wary may we say frightened economists around the world as they look at what appears to be growing signs of a possible recession in some countries around the world join me ian lee associate professor spot school of business at carleton university ian lee welcome how are you I am doing just fine on this beautiful summer day. It's a beautiful day, Ian. You and I have talked about looking for warning signs for so many years. Thinking about you, we've got a trade war, as we know, in the United States with China. And now it looks like the markets are very frightened. What do you make of where we are? Uh, I agree with your assessment. I think that we are much closer to a recession than not to a recession, if I can put it in those sort of binary, you know, yes, no uh, Mm -hmm. uh, scenario. And the logic is very straightforward that I'm going to provide you and your listeners. The, The... we are in the longest recovery in Canadian and American history. Not one of the longest. We are the longest recovery, almost 10 years. The, the, this has been tracked very closely by many, many economists and by central banks, including the Federal Reserve and the uh, Bank of Canada. There's superb statistics out there on the, av- the length, the average length of a recovery and the average length of a recession. And typically a recovery is around four and a half to five years. We are double that. We are truly living on borrowed time. And for anyone who says, well, why is that so? What what makes it inevitable? As the late Milton Friedman, the Nobel Prize laureate, Mm -hmm. studied these things, I mean, recessions and growth and so forth, as he pointed out very succinctly, in 2,000 years, and he went back to ancient Egyptian and Roman times, he says, recessions have never, ever, ever been abolished. No political party, much as they would like to, or politician, has ever figured out how to abolish or eliminate a recession. It's an, it's a, it's an inevitable part of the market economy, where you grow for four or five years, a period of strong growth, and strong employment, incomes rising, uh, profits rising, sales rising, GDP rising, and then you go into a uh, recession that can be anywhere from six months to 18 months on average. So my, my point, and now you look at the data on top of that, in the States, you're looking at the trade war, you're looking at the Germany being in a, uh, uh, negative mm-hmm. growth, 
and it's the fourth largest economy in the world and the third largest exporter in the world. And then you look at the famous inverted yield curve. Don't yes. want to get out of the weeds, but suffice mm-hmm. to say, it has predicted every recession mm-hmm. since 1955. So the tea leaves and the data and the historical precedent suggest strongly to me that we're going into a recession. I won't say when. I don't know what day or month or quarter, but, but I think it's a lot sooner than farther away. All right, Ian, let me ask you. I mean, there are things we all know that these uh, bull markets can't last forever. Right. On the other hand, various uh, economists say it is not helping this trade war with China. Agreed. The president has been riding high. He has yep. been a president with um, not really good approval ratings considering how well the economy has been doing in the United States. How much is he under the microscope here, and what about that famous trade war that has been so controversial? I have to agree uh, with the, uh, I think it's I think it's a consensus amongst uh, mm-hmm. economists, both academic economists and business economists, and, you know, and they, they're employed in corporations and trade associations and so forth. Uh, the, the trade war with China, and I think it is a trade war with China, is certainly going to hurt and possibly nudge or push uh, or tip the economy into recession because... I'm not just asserting that. I want to give a logic. Uh, these are the two largest economies in the world. China is number two at around 12 trillion expressed in U.S. dollars, about 12 trillion. U.S. is about 20 trillion. And they're the two largest mm-hmm. exporting economies in the world. And mm-hmm. you've got to believe that the two largest economies, two largest exporting economies, are going uh, to, it's going to damage them uh, because of these trade wars, because it's slowing down sales. It's slowing down GDP. Now, it's not helping. Ian, what does this president have to do if he makes a decision that he's gone down the wrong road here? He's got to strike to be as blunt and direct as possible. He's got to strike a deal with China. And I'm not saying give away the store. I'm not saying, you know, uh, endorse their uh, uh, their abuses, their terrible abuses on human rights. But they've got to separate and de-link the two. Uh, and I've argued this for a long time, and we've talked about this, but we've got to de-link um, human rights and that whole progressive yeah, agenda. But this president has not linked those things no, together. No, we we are having that debate here in Canada, Ian. That is Correct. not a debate Correct. in the White House. You're, you're right. And, and in this, uh, you're right. I'm just saying, I'm just putting that out there really more for the critics, for a food say, well, what about human rights? From Trump's point of view, he's got to back down. I think he's looking for all-out victory over China, and politics is the art of the possible, as Lester Pearson famously said, the late Canadian prime minister, and I think that he's got to say, you know, a half a loaf, I know I'm using cliches, but they're good cliches, half a loaf is better than no loaf at all, especially if it means tipping the U.S. into recession, just as he's coming up for re-election in 2020. So I think he's better, I hope he has got some people around him saying, you know what, well, maybe it's time to do a little bit of compromise here and come up with some kind of a deal with China and get rid of the trade war, if for no other reason, Arlene, is that people are going to blame Trump. I'm not trying to It always Trump. happens. Politicians wear recessions. They just do. Yes, and he will carry this, 
and that he's giving them ammunition to shoot mm-hmm. at him. Um, uh, probably not a good metaphor to use right no, now. No, these but, days, sorry, but my apologies. we're all stuck in it, and we yeah. get it. And, uh, you know, right now, with the economy on the edge, with the inverted yield mm-hmm. curve, and the economy on the edge of recession, the one thing he wants to do is clear the deck of things that can be uh, accused of causing yeah, the recession. But he's going to have to backtrack, Ian. He doesn't like to do that. He has been no. just a, a bull in a china shop here. Yes, but it really comes down to now survival old fashioned self interest. How badly does he want to be reelected? And if he is in a recession, by the way, there's very good data on this too. It's been studied immensely, I mean, intensively. And any president going into uh, reelection while in a recession has lost their just, reelection yeah. chance. Uh, Jimmy Carter in 1979 yeah, 80. And uh, George H.W. Bush in 1992. And so the record is very clear. If you are in a recession when you're campaigning mm-hmm. for reelection, you will lose the presidency. All right. Ian Lee, always a pleasure with those happy words. Thank you for joining. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. Ian Lee, associate professor, Sprott School of Business at Carleton University. we got lots more to discuss here, including SNC Lavalin and all the reactions. Well, 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 I'm Arlene Bynan in for Alan Carter. It's landed with a bang yesterday. SNC-Lavalin is back in political play. The reaction has been fast and furious in the last 24 hours. And we're just going to put things into perspective here on what the prime minister has been saying, what this means, and where... The opposition has got a lot of ammunition as we head into this election campaign. All right. And we're going to put it into context and we're going to play. First of all, when this first story broke way back in February, what the prime minister said, and then you can hear what he said yesterday. The allegations in the Globe story this morning are false. Uh, Neither the current nor the previous attorney general Uh, was ever directed by me or by anyone in my office uh, to uh, take a a decision uh, in this matter. All right. And yesterday, the prime minister didn't quite sound the same in SNC-Lavalin round two. Uh, And even though I disagree with some of his conclusions, uh, I fully accept this report uh, and take responsibility uh, for everything that happened. Where I disagree with the commissioner, uh, amongst others, is uh, where he says uh, and takes a strong perspective that any contact with the AG, the Attorney General on this issue, uh, was improper. My job as a Prime Minister is to stand up for Canadians and defend their interests. And uh, yes, it is essential that we do that in a way that defends our institutions, that upholds prosecutorial independence, but we need to be able to talk about the impacts on Canadians right across the country of decisions being made. All right. Was it talking about the impact or was it, as the ethics commissioner says, a sustained system of pressure put on Jody Wilson-Raybould? So much has become clear here. And as we've all had a chance to read that whole report, there are a number of things for me that really, really stick out. First of all, you know, is this obstruction of justice? The prime minister, according to the ethics report, 
stop the ethics commissioner from getting the information he needs. Now, he said that it was cabinet security and cabinet privilege, confidence. However, that didn't always line up when it was in the prime minister's best interest. I think for Canadians, that is going to be certainly of concern. And we have the prime minister there. He's saying, you know, we need to be able to talk about it. It wasn't just talking about it. What Jody Wilson-Raybould said was true. What the prime minister said when the story broke was not true. He said the reporting of Robert Fife in the Globe and Mail and the essence of this story was false. Now we have a prime minister running for re-election who's on the record saying something was false. And clearly we know from the ethics commissioner report it was true. That has to be noted by Canadians. It's also true that this is going to be playing out in the upcoming federal election campaign. It's up to Canadians. It's up to voters to say, do I care about this? But boy, this story, the one that the liberals have been, and and we were seeing it, we, we kind of thought, anybody's watching politics, gee, that SNC-Lavalin, it's hanging over there. You know, you can kind of get a whiff of it once in a while if the wind blows the right way. But for the most part, the smell of it is gone. The liberals, you know, really getting themselves back in the polls, trying to steady themselves as they head into the election campaign. And now we have this. And today the prime minister repeated that non-apology, that standing up for Canadian jobs. Well, you know, there were a lot of other jobs. We had an, an, an auto plant in Greater Toronto picking up and moving out did the prime minister come and say i have i'm working i'm going to change laws i'm going to do what i have to do and there is one of the key points now from the ethics commissioner we have a pretty good timeline here that the adding the provision and changing the criminal code was put there because they wanted to have something to help SNC-Lavalin. Also, the Globe and Mail reporting today that we also know the genesis of this. The genesis of this is a meeting between the Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and SNC-Lavalin. Well, where do we stand? And it remains to be seen how the voters are going to react. You know, social media jumping on this, you know, that uh, the prime minister must resign, trending, and also I stand with the prime minister. And for those who say they want him to resign, on what basis should there be an RCMP investigation? Look, you know, the fine for this is not consequential, but the image of this, again, off-brand, and also, before we take your thoughts on this, we now have a reaction from Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott. We know politics is ugly. We know that, you know, they're, they're like a living organism, a political party, all of them. They do what they have to do to stay alive. They go and get the food where they need it, and they kill off those that they need to stay alive as an organism. Okay, we understand that. But come on, again, branding Jody Wilson-Raybould, one of the few people in modern political history 
to sustain a constant pressure and say no to that power and pressure. Jody Wilson-Raybould's image certainly has to be flying up in the next few days. Always wondered, you know, there were many who were surprised that she didn't go to the Green Party or she didn't go to the NDP. And I always kind of understood that if she stayed as an independent, she could always maybe move back in. Just throwing that in there. Uh, There's no sign that considering we know what the prime minister and the liberals have said so far is false, that they're going to welcome her back. So what do Canadians think about this? This is going to play out into the election and make us ask questions. We've been looking at the United States of America so much and going, many of us, gee whiz, why I don't live there. You know, they're they're talking about obstruction of justice and all these really heavy-duty things. And here in Canada, we're looking at the same thing. But the Prime Minister's image and brand is not like the President of the United States. So it remains to be seen what's important. For Alan Carter, I'm Arlene Bynan, and it was a big story yesterday. And now it's like we've had 24 hours, and it's really sinking in SNC-Lavalin, and it is certainly going to be part of this election campaign. Again, you know, now it's up to the voters. Conflict of interest was the first breaking news of it, and now there's more about pressure and then there's about not giving information does there need to be an rcmp investigation or voters who vote liberal are they going to plug their nose and forget about this pete and georgetown will start us off hi pete hello pete yeah hi hey but pete what are you thinking here do you think liberals this is going to matter to liberals is this going to matter to swing voters is this going to matter to independents I sure hope so. You know, I've had enough of this guy, his arrogance for him to stand in front of the cameras uh, yesterday and say that, uh, you know, he was protecting jobs. He knows damn right well what he was doing. Uh, What I'm disappointed at is so far, and I sure hope the conservatives pick up on this, we have that lying prime minister, a national disgrace on the world stage. We've got people in China, you know, who who are... this prime minister pretends to uphold the rule of law, and Chinese are looking at this, the world is looking at this, and we've got this guy on film lying to us this past February where he said the, the story was false. And if the conservatives do not pick up on that ad, just put that interview in an ad to the Canadian people say, this is our prime minister, a liar. I'm so upset. All right, Pete. A motion from Pete in Georgetown. But Pete, I want to add. I want to, you know, as we listen to Pete, does it matter to Canadians? Does it matter that this was a lie, Matt? Welcome. Hey, Arlene. How are you? I am good. Matt, what hey, do you say? Uh, you got a motion here. First of all, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm very upset at the Liberals. Uh, they've been honestly. I'm. Um, I'm even upset at even having a lot of the stuff with Justin Trudeau. He doesn't take care about Canadian protection. He doesn't care about our manufacturing. All he cares about is pleasing 
some 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 liberal agenda that he thinks about. But take a look at it. I mean, this is what I'm really mad about when I see Toronto being hollowed out of manufacturing that we have. I know. I'm gonna. I'm gonna let's leave manufacturing for a minute, or, or, or unless you're raising it as an example of if, if he's considering I mean, I, jobs. Yeah. I would love to. I mean, I would love to see a, a, a prime minister. And I'm not saying that a lot of people don't like President Trump, and I like Trump myself, and I really wish. And I'm not saying that the way that he... Yeah, but if you don't like lying, Matt, with all due respect, it's a bit rich that you don't like a lying liberal prime minister. I'm just saying to be fair here. No, no, I don't like... I don't like him for lying. No, no, I I, I don't like liberals myself. I always... But you uh, don't mind when the president lies. No, no, that's because it protects the American interest. And that's... The Dow had a historically bad day yesterday, Matt. Is he protecting American interests or... He did have a bad... He did have a... They did have a bad day. But if you look at it historically, it's been up and up. So... Yeah, but it's going down and down. We just covered the story. I mean, we just covered it with a real nonpartisan economic look here. You know, we got to say... That, but it's all play... They're, they're playing a game with us. The okay, Chinese let's leave... A game with us. But let's leave... But you've raised a good point. For those who look to America and go, yeah, I like that. If you don't like lying, then you don't like lying in America. I don't know why I, I, you're so offended here in Canada. I want to see a good-looking tariff. I, like it. I definitely want to see a good tariff on the Chinese economy from our prime minister. Right. And if I can see, if we can do a 50% tariff on the All right, man. All right, man. They're not working in the United States, and we're talking about uh, ethics here. Thank you, man. I I don't know. I I I don't think you'll find many Canadians who want a tariff on the Chinese. Rick in Woodbridge. Hey, Rick. Welcome. How are you doing today? I am good. What do you think? Uh, Those who vote liberal, is this going to matter to them? Well... Here's the thing I don't understand. Maybe you can help explain this to me. I, I'm, I'm a very logical individual. I don't understand how Trudeau has the percentage that he has right now, because all he's ever done is lie. All he's ever done is spend money like a wild man, and he's become the joke of the world. And this is the way I see it right now. This is time for Andrew Scheer to step up to the podium and talk and act and react like a leader. He is a good politician. He is a good speaker. But he's not acting like a leader. He needs to show more compassion. And I think this is his opportunity to do that. And if he fails to do that, I'm afraid Trudeau is going to get back in again. All right, Rick. And love to hear as well from some people who were going to vote liberal. And maybe this is going to change their mind. Is it going to, ch- is it going to change their mind or not change their mind? Do they care? Are they going to say, well, I'm going to, you know, the old proverbial plug your nose and do what you got to do here. But, you know, how are you how are people who were on this liberal bandwagon? How are they thinking about it? You know, there's uh, the liberals have had a tough time in a lot of ways. And I I do want to be fair here. It can't have been easier to get into power. And then all of a sudden you have to redo NAFTA. And then you're not redoing NAFTA with a a. 
traditional politician, you're doing it with Donald Trump. However, you know, we look to it in the United States. They're talking obstruction of justice. We're talking about lies. What's the difference here? Ken on the Danforth. Hi, Ken. Hey, how are you? I'm good. What are you thinking here? So the only reason why his numbers are still up is one reason. Diehard NDPers would never, ever vote conservative, but they'll vote liberal. Mm-hmm. Look at the most, most of the, the, the MPs that he's got, they're all ex-NDPers. Yeah, but also, you know, the conservatives usually rely on the NDP to pull votes away for the from the Liberal Party. Not really. No NDP would vote conservative that I know. They no, of course they're not. But the NDP, you know, if their numbers swell, it pulls from the Liberal Party. It's good for the conservatives. Yeah, but that party's doing horrible. Exactly. It's intentionally done. Well, might not be done. But you don't know. There's opportunity. Opportunity has knocked. Do you think this is going to matter to Liberal voters, Ken? To the diehard liberal voters, no, they'll still vote liberal. Even if they know that their leader is fraudulent, lied, stole, and whatever he did, rape, pillage, they'll still Yeah, but he didn't party. rape and pillage, so that's going to be I'm part of their decision. Yeah. I said All, right. Yeah. All right, Ken, he didn't. I mean, you know, as I was saying, I mean, you got to you got to put things into context here, but he did. This SNC-Lavalin is off-brand. It is one story, but it's a story that touches upon things that have made this prime minister very, very popular. In North Bay, Joe, welcome. Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, yes, I believe our prime minister is protecting jobs, but not for all of Canada. I think mostly for our neighboring province, Quebec. Mm-hmm. Uh, from northern Ontario, I noticed that a lot of our economy is being stolen by Quebec. They can come over here and work, but we can't go over there and work. Well, it's always so. been it's always been a one of the things that has haunted the liberals is their protectionism in Quebec and this SNC Lavalin and what we learned yesterday really raises a lot of those questions, Joe. It's true because I mean the Prime Minister reiterating today, saying he's there to protect jobs. Clearly this is something he's gonna say over and over again. Yeah. Is it gonna work up there in North Bay, Joe? Well, he should have deleted all of Canada. All right. Because he, he has deleted all of Canada. All right, Joe, thank you for thank your you. call. Bye. All right. Bye. This is really a story that is gaining in momentum. Is this, is there going to be an RCMP investigation? So here we are again. You know, we're always looking to the United States and we're almost there. What if the RCMP decided to move forward with an investigation? And here we are in an election campaign. And we've got this investigation. Wow. Ay, 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 ay. That would really matter. But is the RCMP, and they're also very careful. We saw how careful it was. Robert Mueller's office trying to think, you know, James Comey, what does he do during an election campaign? And we watched that whole thing play out. And here we have the words obstruction of justice. We have RCMP investigation. And this is happening with the Liberals and our Prime Minister. And a Prime Minister who had one of the most incredible honeymoons of all time. And i got to say, I mean, there are probably people, many people who didn't vote for him when they saw that Canada was being lauded around the world. They were happy. We're, we're country over party. And now that brand has taken a tarnish.
Again, what a busy day. There is so much happening that is important in the province of Ontario. The the Doug Ford government is thinking an overhaul needs to be done on Ontario News Now. And, of course, this is kind of controversial because it is the way that this government of Doug Ford has wanted to get out their message and cost money. And now we're learning that the Ford government is considering overhauling all those things and they may dismantle Ontario News now. So he's been facing a lot of calls to do it. And if you listen to me, I would say it's not a bad idea. There was always so a lot of irony here. You know, a lot of a lot of people look and say, okay, well, the CBC is paid by taxpayers' dollars. How can they really criticize the government when the government has control over them? And so many callers and lots of callers in the station will call up and say, well, you know, they're they're liberal. Well, you know, we got a lot of points of view in the media these days, and really, when you look at it, does a government it, it our provincial government is paying for this Ontario news now. What does it do? Who is it changing any people's minds? Are people taking it seriously? Or is it not propaganda? You know, and there is reporting that even those within the party in Ontario are not happy with this, that it's a promotional service costing money. And really, if you're going to try to hit the reset button, as this government's going to do, then maybe it's time to get rid of it. It is is taxpayers funded. It's a lot of the things that people in the Conservative Party in Ontario have railed against. So I think the government has been criticized on the left, of course, by the irony of this. And now today we're getting some reports that those on the right are also saying, hey, what is this all about and I you know I I don't know I I think if you're going to try to go back down another road and you're going to try to um, redo do a little bit of a redo on your brand and your image here on your new government that this might be a way to go that you can't really get around the media a war with the media is probably not going to work and you know the way around the media is not to have a taxpayer funded interview process because i don't know it may help if people want to find more information on your on your base but i don't know if it's going to add to who you want to get and you know as i say about politics it is about addition not subtraction Okay, I want to end with something, and I know tomorrow we're going to do a lot more on it. It is the 50th anniversary of a lot of stuff in the last little while, and it's also the 50th anniversary of Woodstock. It was this crazy summer, and just the other day we were talking about the 50th anniversary of the Charles Manson murders. Well, it was also that same month that half a million strong, as the song says, they came to Max Yasker's farm. And looking back on that, and I'm going to combine it again with the Manson murders, because the Manson murders took away a lot of this big, huge message. And you can look back in history and say that one rock concert will forever be frozen in time 
as the moment of the so-called counterculture. I had a lot of time in my career to talk with activist Abby Hoffman, who was one of the big political activists who was there, very, very famous. And now, of course, he's passed away. And now we take a look at what's left of that political message. It is a little dubious. It seems to have gone the way of the dodo bird in in many ways. But the music remains. And I can imagine there's a whole generation looking back on Woodstock and they're saying, wow, here we have a little bit of tape that puts it into perspective. We started to hear rumors that this thing was more or less out of hand because no one knew the amount of tickets that were sold. We were on the state highway and cars were stopping and we realized that this was parking for the concert. I had never seen that many people in my life in one place at one time. And is backed up from White Lake right back through on the Everything that could possibly go wrong was happening. There was a sanitation crisis and there was a medical crisis. The governor was considering sending in the National Guard. They said it was a danger to the community, it was a danger to public health, it was a danger to any damn thing they could think of. I just kept thinking, which direction is this thing going to go? Like 1969, it really did feel like we were finally winning some kind of cultural war against the establishment. Young people were rejecting the status quo. The one thing that affected everybody was the war in Vietnam. I knew a lot of people who just felt, we have to do things differently. We were looking for answers. We were looking for other people that felt the same way as we did. The outside world thought it was a disaster area. Well, that's not what we thought. It was the freedom of being able to be who you were, not feeling that somebody was going to judge you. So there we have it. You know, I was not at Woodstock. I was um, glad to say I was too young to be at Woodstock. However, years ago, when I was a young reporter in this city, I covered an anniversary of it. And it was an anniversary nobody really cared about. There wasn't enough distance. Everybody really was looking, I guess, to a lot of these people who maybe who attended Woodstock, who now were full-fledged Republicans and conservatives. Things had changed. And I went down, and there was an anniversary, and everybody stayed outside of Bethel, New York, where it was, in this Grossinger's and it is it is now been torn down and it was this place in the Catskills and we all stayed there and Abby Hoffman that's when I first met Abby Hoffman he was there covering it I think for Esquire magazine also we had John Sebastian was playing from the Love and Spoonful I'll never forget sitting there in this little tiny concert hall in that in that recreation Grossinger's and watching him sing Darlin' Be Home Soon it was absolutely fantastic but also at the same resort 
there was kind of this, nerds were just trending at the time, and there was this some kind of a nerd convention going on. And there was this guy with like big, thick bottle glasses sitting at our table because he thought, oh, I'll wander in here. He didn't know what he was watching. He was fast asleep, as John Sebastian sang, Darling, Be Home Soon. Well, I interviewed John Sebastian. I interviewed Abby Hoffman, and I spent an evening sitting there in one of the rooms with them playing music and and actually, I had Prince. I had some Prince cassettes. So we were playing music, Prince and I had a great conversation and actually went to Max Yasger's farm. And I had a picture of myself taken with Abby Hoffman at Max Yasger's farm. When I got back, I wrote a piece for this, a big op-ed piece for the Globe and Mail, full page. And I was so excited. I mean, it was such a big deal for me that I would be published in the iconic Globe and Mail. And I spent all this time writing it. I had all these interviews with Wavy Gravy, who was the, he was there too. He was the guy who was the announcer. And there I was in this era that was not mine. And I got a chance to interview people and touch it. Even the people who made sandwiches, all the original people came back and they couldn't believe it. All the community center workers, it was really, really sweet. And then when I got up in the morning and and looked at what was in the Globe and Mail. I was really thrilled. And they had a picture of me and Abby Hoffman. And then they had a picture from the original Woodstock. Well, they made a mistake. The picture of me and Abby Hoffman was there. And then the one of Woodstock was the back of a girl with long blonde hair, completely nude. Totally nude. And she was holding hands and with the guy. And underneath it, it says... <laughs> Arlene Bynan and Abby Hoffman on the scene of Woodstock. And I couldn't believe it. They don't make a lot of mistakes, but they did. I should try to find that. And the only reason, and then there's a picture of Abby in this tie-dye t-shirt and me underneath it, and it said the scene of Woodstock. Now, the only reason I didn't freak out and ask for an attraction, the girl had one of the most tremendous figures you could ever see. She looked really, 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 really good. So I thought I'd let that mistake sit. Tomorrow we'll talk a little bit more about Woodstock because it is, it's not just about music, which was unbelievable. It was about culture. It was about politics. It was about a lot of values. It was about really a a time where people looked and said, we are going to change the world. Did they? We'll talk about it tomorrow. And for Alan Carter, I'm Arlene Bynan, and this is Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.